Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? Four? Oh, I should have said two. It's Jesse. And we have a special guest with us. Recasting the movie Caddyshack is from the Movie Wars. We have Kyle. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, guys. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Oh, excited to have you on. I think uh, me and Jesse obviously talk about your guys' show every episode that we do because it's one of our favorites. And I can't remember what episode I ran into you guys on, but then I told Jesse, I said, you know, hey, you got to listen to these guys' movie wars. It's it's really good. And so Jesse's become hooked as well. Yeah, very addicting show. I think you guys have very fun personalities and the concept is super fun. Every episode is a banger. I never knew how deep you guys, you know, really cut these movies into. So between Matrix and Inception, which I think was my intro episode, up until the latest one, which was, it was Castaway and the Martian, uh, uh, is it Martian? Yeah, the Martian. Yeah. I mean, they're always great episodes, man. So you guys really deserve a lot of credit and we're really honored to have you on our show today. Oh, well, that's very kind of you both. And it's funny, Matrix Inception for those listening, I was late to the show because we were having tornadic weather here. And that episode, we actually had a tornado warning. Because I'm a big philosophy guy, that movie was like a festival of lights for me, That right? Like having both of those movies. So I had done a lot of preparation, like I always do. I probably averaged 20 hours of preparation, study, reading for these podcasts. And then a tornado warning was happening. And we were literally like trying to get tornado warning sounds out of the studio. <laughs> and it's just, it was hilarious. But anyway, I thought it was funny you started on that one. But Thank you for the kind words, and I love you guys' show. Obviously, we talk a lot online, and we exchange a lot of ideas, and I've loved you know, interfacing with you guys, and I love your show because it's like, I think even if you're not a movie podcaster, I think a casual movie fan thinks, what if they just cast this guy? Like, why didn't they just do this? You know, I don't like this guy. I want this guy. Or I don't like this chick. I want this girl. And I love that you guys have blown it up into a full-on concept, and you guys do a masterful job, so I'm truly honored to be here. We talk about your guys' show every episode, but you know, let the fans get it here from the horse's mouth, so to say. I guess, what is it that your show is about? Uh, where can people find you, and why should people listen? Yeah. You know, Movie Wars, it's a funny concept. There were a lot of... When we were starting the show, there were a lot of wars concepts for movies, but they were literally trying to figure out what the best movie was. And you guys have listened. You know that's not our concept. Our concept is we've accepted that both movies are fantastic. They're widely accepted as great films. So I make a theoretical scorecard that basically consists of a couple of classic categories, right? Cast, music, some more basic stuff. But then the other half of the categories, we typically do like nine. The other half of the categories are what we call bro categories. And these are things that can lead us down rabbit holes to maybe talk more about our research in the film or we're all three comedic. I used to be a comedian personally, time to be funny, you know? So like, for example, you know, we did Jaws versus Jurassic Park. You know, who would you rather be eaten by, the T-Rex or Jaws? You know, categories like that. One of my favorites was Raging Bull versus Rocky. You know, a bloody bruised face, who wore it best? You know, categories like that that lead us down fun rabbit holes. And so the scorecard isn't determining which movie's better. It's just determining according to our fun scorecard, which of these two already heralded films are, you know, win our scorecard. You know, I, I like to keep the ratio of internet to actual film research about 90 to 10, 10, 10 internet because there's so much random crap on the internet. I try to get it all from the horse's mouth through special features and, you know, deep cuts like the Redux for Apocalypse Now. But anyway, yeah, we put them against each other. We do a ton of research. I, Drew and I do about 20 hours each. Phil does zero research because he's the punching bag and he's the punch line. And we like having someone on there that's not necessarily a huge fanboy. That's the premise of the show. It's a ton of fun. 
And we actually are recording our one year anniversary episode tomorrow. We've done 50 movies in one year because it's a two, two movies per episode. Think about it. I did 20 hours of research for 25 podcasts on 50 different films. So it feels like an education. <laughs> but yeah, that's the premise. It sounds like you could teach a course. I mean, you're teaching us every time we listen and congratulations on making it, you know, the one year. I know that's an epic first step. I know that's a long journey ahead for you and the other gang. I remember, you know, bringing up to you recently that I've been, uh, you know, taken aback by the movie The Prestige. And I was like, oh, why don't you guys do a movie with that versus, you know, something else? You're like, well, I mean, because we don't want it to be a bloodbath. You know, we've got to put two really good movies head to head. And so it made a ton of sense when you said that. Yeah, we've had a couple that have, and right, the scorecard is, you know, it's it, it's almost like a deity on the podcast, the way I talk about it, but it's like the scorecard determines all, you know, we make this goofy philosophical, you know, sometimes they're funny categories, you know, we have our infamous flex categories, which is, which is the bigger flex, you know, it's, it's all pure fun. And, and on occasion, I think one time we had a seven to zero, you know, which was not intentional, but that happens sometimes. And I don't like it when that happens. <laughs> I actually thought it was funny that the first baseball movie episode you guys did ended in a tie because you only had eight categories, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm really good at philosophy, really bad at math. <laughs> all right. So, so what about where, where can people find you? To, like, we interact with you guys all the time, but where can people find you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're really active on TikTok. We have like 45,000 followers on TikTok. I, like you guys said on your review of Caddyshack, I, I'm not super on Instagram either, but we do a ton on TikTok. So that's where you can find our social content. In regards to listening to us, you know, I think 50% of our traffic comes through Apple, Spotify. We love good pods. I know all of us on here are big fans of good pods. So I'm going to go ahead and come out and advocate. You know, if you can support that platform, it's a socialized way of getting indie podcasters in your ear. And we, uh, you know, I think we've all experienced some growth through there. But yes, you know, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Google, Amazon. And if you're new to this show or if you're a new listener, thank you for listening. What we do is we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we recast them with modern day actors and actresses. Our most recent film was The Shawshank Redemption, which we did with Stephen Doyle from These Films Are the Juice. And the results are as such. We have 34 votes for Jesse. We have 13 for Steve. And I had seven. So congratulations, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Back on top. I don't know how long it'll last, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and now wear this championship belt nice, proudly. I always hate voting because I love you both. <laughs> so anytime <laughs> I vote on Twitter, I feel so bad, but it's like, I like you both. Uh, we love when people listen to the episodes and they give the detailed breakdowns. You know, uh, I really enjoy when anybody, you know, really feels like they have to defend their vote. And honestly, if somebody votes for Wayne, they better defend their vote because I'm going to go at them. You know what I find? Sorry, I know this is just the intro, but I did want to say one of the reasons I love your format. I don't know how many times you see this, but it's usually one actor that either makes me want to not pick or pick. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, not that guy. Or it's like, oh, I really love that guy. It's usually like one actor or actress that, that sways me. Yeah, I find that a lot. And usually I find that Jesse, at least early on, Jesse was very good at, he had his finger on the pulse of the community, knowing exactly who people wanted and what roles. And he went on a winning streak of epic proportions. And where the tide turned against him is when he picked Daniel Radcliffe to play Neo. Oh, man. <laughs> I do remember this. I loved this. Bring that up again. Oh, he was the chosen one. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he, he suffers from the typecasting, right? I mean, he's he and when you grow up as a child actor and you grow into adulthood playing the same role several times, he, he's going to have to carry that burden for the rest of his acting career. 
He, he definitely is. I am excited to see what he does with the Weird Al uh, movie that he's definitely been putting hard work into because he's definitely trying to stretch outside of that role that he'd spent so long playing. I mean, he's talked about now he won't even do the reprisal of his character in The Cursed Child. He's not interested in it. You know, he really just wants to separate from it. So I don't blame him. And I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. because I think he's a really good actor. Well, I would say money talks. I mean, Deshaun Watson said he wasn't going to go to the Cleveland Browns, and then $230 million later, he was there. So I think that, you know, if somebody offered Daniel Radcliffe 60, 70 million, or, or even a Robert Downey Jr. type deal, I think he would take it. All right. So obviously, I'd like to thank everybody who votes. Uh, we do have two shout out sections here. I'm going to run through the first one. This is our shout outs for anybody who voted for the last episode, which was the Shawshank Redemption. If you do vote for an episode, you will get a shout out in this section. If you interact with us, not just a vote, but if you actually kind of interact with us, you get into the special shout out section, which we'll get to next. But this is the part where I take a deep breath and I just run through a few names of shows and people who voted for the last episode. <clears throat> water, water break. <laughs> At Movies 131, Trayvon Surgeon, Defending Your Movie Podcast, Cheap Seat Reviews, Third Eye Movie Reviews, Super Retro Throwback, Binge Movies, Geek Exploration Podcast, Titan for BP. No More Late Fees, I Finally Watched Podcast, Film Shake, a 90s movie podcast, Casting Views, The Film Buds, Walk the Cinema Podcast, Bad Dad's Film Review, Real Talk, Film Rage, Geek Peak, Totally Rad Christmas, Your Next Favorite Movie Podcast, at G underscore Reels with a Z, Pete at Middle Class Film Class, Straight to DVD Podcast, VHS Files Podcast, Uncredited Extras, Cinema Deacon, So What Happens Next Podcast, Movies on the Way, The Dustin That Reads and Watches, Back to Blockbuster, The Number 15 All Cast, Mashley at the Movies, Masturbators, All 80s Movies Podcast, The Nerd Rovert, ROTR, A Rockin' LOL Podcast, Auntie Hazel, Insanely Dangerous Retro Podcast, Bad Poet Society, Beefy Boys Podcast, The Force 5 Movie Podcast, Carlo the Movie Loot, a book nerd and the Bible game for a movie podcast and TMI podcast. Thank you all for voting in the last episode. Wowzers. I can't believe you do all that. I just realized that it's a rumor that there's a shortage of movie podcasts. That was a rumor. <laughs> That's just the first part. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so we do get to our special shout outs. This is really more again, people who interact with us. They're in our, we call it our movie podcast universe of the MPU. Stephen Doyle stole that from me in his last episode. So special shout outs go as such three films and a podcast. I wanted to say thank you for them. I was on their episode. We recasted Batman and Robin and the votes came in and I had like tripled the second place guy. So thank you for having me on. It was a great time. And their newest episode reviews Honey Boy. They may not have you on again after that flex win. <laughs> Best film ever podcast. These guys, obviously, it's a, a British podcast. The host is Canadian. That's Ian. And I most recently listened to their Lethal Weapon episode, which was really great. It's a long one. It's two hours, but I got through it. And their most recent one, which I haven't listened to yet, but I plan to, is Back to the Future 3. Yeah, that one just dropped. And I know that that one is, I believe, their second year anniversary episode. So they're going to go ahead and do a lot of the fans. They are going to present their shout outs to the show. So. Very awesome. I love the show. Wasn't a fan at first because I think I first started listening after they had listened to the, the Daniel Radcliffe episode. 
So a lot of mentions of that this episode, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, they are a great uh, group of folks and uh, really love uh, the amount of time and effort they put into dissecting great movies. They have a, a great upper echelon that they can make sure that they uh, review great movies, the best ones. When Harry Met Movies, uh, I just finished listening to their newest episode, which was Willow. And again, really good. I, if you guys don't know, check out When Harry Met Movies. It's a very family-friendly podcast. Basically, Harry or no, Mark introduces his son, Harry, to movies that he watched growing up. And then the two of them talk about it. They draw questions out of uh, a bowl. I don't know. It's not visual, so I can't see it. But they, they go over questions, and it's just really cool. If you have kids and you've thought about introducing your kids to movies that you watched growing up, you know, When Harry Met Movies is a great podcast. Always fun listening to them. Shoot the Flick podcast. I did not listen to the Thor episode, but I did listen to Christine, and I listened to season two of The Last Airbender, and it was great. I Actually, I don't even like The Last Airbender. My daughter watches it, but I love the review of it, the breakdown. Yeah, and uh, I didn't listen to that one, but I did listen to the Thor episode. You know, I'll definitely let you know, Frankie is a big fan of Loki. Uh, I think that's really the only reason she watched that movie is she focused entirely on him. I think, uh, you know, she and Scott, they focus a lot on the chemistry that they see in that movie and in the other MCU films right now. They're basically flip-flopping between who gets to uh, choose what they're reviewing. And Scott has chosen the MCU. And uh, when Frankie gets her turn, it's movies based on books. So uh, certainly a, a lot of different parallels. A new one in the MPU is Sequel Pitch. We have Alien Resurrection and Star Trek Beyond are their newest episodes. I honestly haven't listened to either one yet. I don't know. I guess I'd never really thought about sequels to either of those movies. If they don't come out with a sequel to them, it wouldn't bother me. Are you a Trekkie, Wayne? Uh, That's a derogatory term, Jesse. Oh, it's going to bleep it out. What about you, Kyle? Trekker. (laughs) I learned this. I learned this. Yeah, you you can't say the one I said. And we have the Quantum Recast, which is kind of like our cousins. They just did the Zack Snyder Justice League in 1986. And their newest episode coming out soon, which I can't wait for, is Maverick in 2021. I'm a huge Maverick fan. Yeah, great, great show. Uh, Love what these guys do. Definitely playing in a harder sandbox than us. Always exciting to listen to what they do. I thought the Justice League episode was fun. They had some good ideas. And I haven't seen the original Maverick, so I think I may have to watch the original of that before I go ahead and listen to the recast. But I remember mentioning it to you, Wayne, and you said it was one of your favorite movies. So I'll definitely have to get your take once they go ahead and debut it. And I'm almost positive that drops tomorrow. And then we have these films are the juice. This is our buddy Stephen Doyle, who finished in second place in our last vote. He recently had the guys from I Recently Watched podcast, and they discussed Paul Thomas Anderson films. I'm not going to lie. I consider myself a movie guy, but I don't know who Paul Thomas Anderson is. Whoa. Kyle, educate us. Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia with Tom Cruise. Every cast is huge. Punch Drug Love. He just came out with Licorice Pizza, which apparently got chided at the awards. I don't pay attention to awards anymore because I think they're stupid now. He directs epics. He does three-hour epics, baseline, but There Will Be Blood is probably his biggest tour de force. Okay. You see, I think of the movies that you listed, I get the very art house jazz loving kind of feel oh yeah oh yeah very art house he's really good friends with johnny greenwood from radiohead who did the did all the the score for the master for there will be blood uh definitely runs in the the art house circle did you watch licorice pizza kyle i haven't yet i have it on my my agenda to watch this weekend actually i'm definitely going to watch it here in the near future 
I wasn't really interested. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but because it is kind of up in that awards discussion, not that I, I pay attention to that a whole lot, but because it's been in that discussion, I feel like maybe I'll have to give it a chance. I have seen some of the movies that are amongst that discussion this year, and so I, I figured maybe because I've given some others a shot, I should give that one a shot too. I'm just, I'm just based on the title and the trailer alone, it wasn't anything that interested me. Yeah, the biggest thing about that film that people have been talking about is that the lead actor and actress are are younger, and and they had had they had never acted before. And Paul Thomas Anderson was like, "Hey, I'm going to use two not vetted actors," and a lot of people really loved the authentic performances. So that's what it kind of attracted me. You know, this guy's worked with Daniel Day Lewis, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, and then he's like, "I'm going to have two unknowns headline my newest film." So I think that's a really cool concept. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's definitely a swerve. So that's interesting, and it'll be uh, it'll be cool to see how that turns out. Our favorite British podcast, Field of Screens. They had a short hiatus, but they came back with a vengeance. Bull Durham, love the new Bull Durham episode. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one as well. You know, love hearing a familiar character in Tim Robbins, and you know, in such a different role than what we discussed him in in Shawshank. So. You know, they played a bunch of clips where we got to hear him and we got to hear some of the other very important characters from Bull Durham. And it was such a great movie. I think that may even be one that you recommended to them. And then we have the Movie Wars podcast, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And we have Kyle here because we kind of ran through some of our favorites. Uh, Kyle, what are some of the podcasts that you throw on when you're just chilling or driving and you want to listen to something? You know, it's it's funny. It's lately. I, I hate to say this. I, I listen to you guys and, you know, but because I spend so much time promoting and making our podcast lately, I, I listen to books <laughs> because I'm usually reading a book for the podcast. So when I do listen, I love listening to you guys. I love Phil to screens. Those guys are awesome. And uh, I, I don't know when next time to drop in a new episode, but I miss seeing them in my feed. But I do like, you know, the original movie podcast that really inspired me was Now Playing. Did you guys ever listen to Now Playing? They're still alive and kicking. No, I haven't heard them. I don't believe that I have, no. They were podcasting way before, like, it was popular. Some of their older stuff, when you listen to, like, the audio quality, it, it sounds like a like a tape recorder. Those guys are brilliant. One of them is actually in the movie industry, I, I believe, as some type of editor for Fox. But they do really in-depth movie reviews. And I, I've been a fan of theirs. They're completely self-funded. I mean, they're all self-funded. They don't have any advertisers. They make really good money. And they were kind of the first people I was like, wow, you can make a movie podcast. So I love them. But you know, you guys, you know, Field of Screens. Field of Screens were the first guys I really connected with. They they reached out to me proactively when we did our baseball episode. And that's how I met them. And when I do have time to listen to other podcasts, that's my rotation. Yeah, I think the mo the movie network, especially on Twitter, has been so collaborative and friendly and it's been great to see us all help each other grow and, and collaborate. So I think it's it's just been great to be a part of, to touch on that. And then, you know, one podcast I'd like to let you both know about, and, you know, it is one of, like, the bigger ones. It's, it's part of The Ringer, but it's called The Big Picture. And they actually have a lot of directors on there. And pretty much any big movie that comes out, they're bringing on a, a director or a producer, somebody that was tied to it in a heavy way to come on and be interviewed. I definitely recommend that one as well. It's, it's definitely one of the bigger ones. You won't find them on Good Pods, but you know, if you're on, on Apple or even Spotify, you'll be able to find them and get a lot of enjoyment out of them because of the access that they are able to have. Is that Fennessy's? Sean Fennessy? Yes, it is. Yep. I love He has really interesting opinions. I like him a lot. Yeah, the access he gets. And I mean, I follow him on Twitter too. So I think it's, it's really great to kind of hear them go in depth on stuff. While we were on Movie Wars, I did have 
a couple other questions for you, Kyle. One of them is every episode you guys mentioned that you know a lot of these wars are in the making for a long time, that you've had these planned out for quite some time. I'm curious, how many wars do you have in the queue right now? Oh, man. Well, it's funny. My brain at any given time, like it just sometimes I wake up at 3 a.m. and be like, this really happened to me last week. I woke up at 3 a.m. I was like, we haven't done Denzel Washington yet. And I sent out a text at 3 a.m. Obviously, Phil and Drew weren't awake, but I was like, why haven't we done Denzel Washington yet? Come on, guys. So my brain is constantly messing, but I think we have about 30 in the queue right now. And the reason sometimes they wait, and we talked about this in Apocalypse Now versus Platoon, it just depends on the mood. You know, we got to really gear up. You know, when we did Apocalypse Now, Ukraine, Russia happened a week before. And I, I was thinking, we talked about this after we recorded. I was like, I can't imagine wanting to do that episode the week after all that happened. So, you know, we definitely recognize that we have to be in a certain mood to tackle certain content. You know, I was emotionally drained after that one because we, we really spent a lot of time talking about war and the Vietnam War. And, and a lot of my research uncovered how those filmmakers interpreted such a divisive era. But, you know, yeah, we have about 30 in the queue. And we usually pick based on how we feel the night after we, we have our cigars, after we make our show. And we talk about how we're feeling after that one and, and what kind of mood we're in for the next one. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up that particular episode because I've mentioned it on the air in one of our episodes that honestly, I, I don't like either of those movies. I don't really like Platoon and I don't like Apocalypse Now. But that's my favorite episode that you guys have done. It was just absolutely incredible. I love listening to it. Oh, thank you. I think there are, uh, there are very few war films that I love because, you know, you really have to be in a certain mood to watch them. Like, you had to be in a certain mood to, to research and to talk about them. But, yeah, I agree with Wayne. The episode was really, really well done. That's really kind. And I'm glad to hear it, honestly, because, you know, I thought Matrix Inception required most of my study time, but that one capped it out mostly because Apocalypse Now, there's a, an embarrassment of riches. You know, there's a documentary that's almost as interesting as the film Heart of Darkness, which, you know, Eleanor Coppola filmed the majority of. There's the book Heart of, you know, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. There was just so much to read. And I love it when I don't have to rely on the Internet for my information. And so that was information overload for me. But, you know, Jesse, I like what you said about the the whole war movie thing. I said this on the podcast. I don't love war movies because the idea of war is just weird to me. Like, I'm not like saying any kind of political position other than just thinking of humans fighting humans. It doesn't attract me to want to watch a movie about it. Yet Apocalypse Now is my fourth favorite movie of all time. And I think that's really because Coppola is a, you know, I'm a creative and he's kind of my chief creative. You know, he's, he's his dedication to his art form, his dedication to his vision being executed is so strong that it inspires me. So I think that's kind of where I'm okay with Apocalypse now being in my top 10, even though it's a war movie. And then the last segment we have before we get into the recasting is I usually ask Jesse if he's watched anything new recently. He knows that I binge like 20 shows a week. So I'm curious, Jesse, anything new pop up on the radar? Yeah, so as far as TV shows, I had uh, started The Righteous Gemstones, which has one of our old friends, John Goodman. Um, it also has Dana McBride and one of the other, um, it's Adam Devine, I believe, from Workaholics. And he's done some other funny things, but that's what I know most from. So that's on HBO. Um, I've been enjoying that on Hulu uh, against The Righteous Gemstones. As far as film goes, I did start The Adam Project, and I don't want to say it's any fault to its own. Between it being a late evening and me getting up there in age, I wasn't able to last throughout the entire film, but I found that to be enjoyable. It's not my favorite Ryan Reynolds film, but it's definitely better than some of the other ones that I've seen. Red Notice, I, I haven't gone back to, and I don't think that I will. Beyond that, I did watch The Power of the Dog. And that is one that has Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, his actual wife um, in real life, Kirsten Dunst. 
and Cody Smith-McPhee. And I think that was a very, very good movie. And I think it's along the same vein of There Will Be Blood. So if uh, neither of you have seen it, I definitely recommend it. That's awesome. I don't know about you, Kyle. Have you, I know you're obviously busy with the research and, and everything, but have you stumbled across anything or started watching anything recently? That's funny you ask. You know, it is hard, especially having four kids. Like, I wish I could just go out to the movie theater every week, <laughs> but I can't. But I am working my way through A24, right? I, and like, there's a huge zeitgeist from, from movie fans around that studio. They made, you know, Midsummer. Um, I believe they made The Witch. I'm becoming a huge Egger fan or Eggers fan. And I watched The Lighthouse a couple of days ago. Finally, black and white film, Willem Dafoe and Pattinson, who, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing a ton of Pattinson research because people in their minds that aren't deep movie fans are trying to, I don't know if you've noticed this on your pods and getting feedback from your fans. There are still people out there trying to substantiate in their minds that Pattinson was Batman because they, they still think of him as, you know, Twilight guy. And, you know, I've seen enough films with him now to know that he is an actor. I mean, that guy is a brilliant actor. I love Lighthouse. I love what Eggers does with the black and white. I can't tell if it's a horror movie, if it's a thriller. It's a play on Greek mythology. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I pride myself on being a reader and a lover of philosophy. But that movie messed with my brain. So I haven't seen The Lighthouse, and I'll let Wayne answer for himself. But just to get ahead of it, this is actually our second iteration of Recasted. That's why we Recasted 2.0. And when we first did it, we were kind of like unscripted and, and a little bit more raw and uncut. And that's when Robert Pattinson was announced as the new Batman actor. And I have to give him credit. Wayne back then, and you can find the audio, he praised the choice and he said that he thinks that it's going to be the best Batman. So I don't know that, that he has seen the new Batman film yet. I know that I haven't. But I think that we are all in the same realm as you where we see him much more as an actor and less so as Cedric Diggory or Edward you know, Cullen. So I think we're seeing him more as a very well-rounded guy who has done the work on the indie circuit. And he's really you know, built up his resume to be someone who is very well-deserved of this role and hopefully many more awesome roles to come. Now, for me, obviously, I've been watching The Walking. I'm the opposite of you, Kyle. Like, it sounds like you, you're definitely more into like some of the movies that I don't really watch a whole lot. I'm a popcorn guy, and so like I'm watching The Walking Dead. I just started watching The Mentalist, which actually I got turned on to The Mentalist from Nightmare Alley because I watched Nightmare Alley, didn't like it, but I like the idea of mentalism, so I started watching The Mentalist, which is a really bad show, by the way. But I'm still watching every episode. And then I just started watching Modern Family, which is really funny. I'm surprised I got to it so late because it is a really funny show. And then, of course, I also watched The Adam Project. Funny story compared to Jesse, I actually turned it on to fall asleep, too. Like, I laid on the couch and I put pillows down and I put on The Adam Project and I couldn't sleep because I actually thought it was really good. It is good. I agree. I'm not a big Ryan Reynolds guy, but he made me laugh a lot. And I, I was in a mood where I needed a laugh. And I, I feel like I got a well-balanced. I don't know about you guys, but Netflix struggles with closing. They can't close movies out. But that movie was complete from top to finish. And I thought that was the first Netflix experience I had. I was like, I was like that's a well, that was a well-rounded screenplay. Yeah, I'm a little Ryan Reynolds out. Um, like I mentioned, I didn't even finish the other Netflix project he did with Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot, The Red Notice. I got about halfway through and was uninterested. I thought that this one was very interesting with the chemistry between him and younger him, uh, the, the child actor there. So I thought that they did a nice job of bouncing off each other. I'll have to definitely finish out the film because 
you know, I don't have all that much to go, but I want to see how it finishes. But I'm happy to hear that this one actually is able to close the deal. Whereas I, I will agree with you. It's been tough to see some of Netflix's projects really kind of leave you hanging. Is it just me or are child actors like, you know, I, I'm assuming we're all around the same age. It's insane to me the level of acting these child actors bring these days. I feel like growing up, it was Macaulay Culkin and a bunch of random people, you know, and then in the eighties, it was the kid from the shining. These child actors and stranger things like they, they are bringing it these days. That kid in the Adam project was stellar. Between movies and sick and like TV shows and sitcoms. I think all around, all around, we're definitely seeing a different level, a higher level being brought to the table. And it's kind of scary. My introduction really to child actors that could really act, because again, yeah, Macaulay Culkin was comedy, and to see child actors that could really, really act, my first one was Elijah Wood, who obviously Radio Flyer was was incredible, and then he did The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin, who by the way, Macaulay Culkin crushed in The Good Son. You know, so I, I guess that I've always kind of seen a few of them, and then we saw Haley Joel Osment kind of a little bit later, The Sixth Sense. But I don't know, I, I'm always impressed when kids can do drama because I feel like comedy doesn't require as much, which is weird because like comedic actors, I feel are more versatile than dramatic actors. But I feel like it takes less to do comedy, if that makes sense. No, and kids are I have four of them. They're inherently funny by nature and comedy. They can play into comedy because, you know, it's a childish idea that I just want to laugh for an hour and a half. So they definitely play into that. But you're right. When they get into drama. I mean, gosh, you got to direct them. You can only have them for like, what, 20 minutes a day? I mean, it's insane. I don't know how you get performances out of these kids. Well, that is what we have for our opening here, I guess. And is everybody ready to recast Caddyshack? Yeah, that's enough of the previews and trailers. Let's get into the juicy main event. You guys are going to crush me, but yes, let's do it. I'm all right. So Caddyshack came out 1980. This was written by Harold Ramis and directed by Harold Ramis. This was his directorial debut, I believe. He had written several things, including Animal House, which was a big hit before this. It is a 7.2 on IMDb, 87% from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Me and Jesse had this conversation. Obviously, many people consider Caddyshack to be an American comedic classic. And I know that you picked this film and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny when we, we were we were kind of just going back and forth and when you, you selected, I was like, oh man, that's a big that's a big ask. You know, what people don't realize maybe, you know, that weren't of age when this film came out is that Chevy Chase was a huge deal. Chevy Chase is the reason SNL took off. You know, when he started doing the weekend update on SNL, he carried that show. Yes, it had Bill Murray, yes, it had Belushi and Aykroyd, and those guys were all brilliant, but Chevy Chase became a superstar, and he had a horrible falling out when he left SNL because he wanted to pursue his movie career. And Fletch, I actually think, is a stronger movie. I think it's a more well-rounded comedy, and I think he's actually hilarious in it because he's the centerpiece of Fletch, whereas Caddyshack, he's more of an ensemble piece. But I think Caddyshack resonates, right? I mean, you think about, you know, the 80s, you think about late 70s to mid-80s, we're seeing a lot of economic stuff, right? And, and politically, Reaganomics and all this stuff is happening. And if you think about Caddyshack, it's really, and you you did a great job, Wayne, talking about this on your review, um, the, on their bonus episode you guys released, but it's like this elitism versus the working class. And it's kind of up in front and center. 
And having Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, and Rodney Dangerfield exemplify that is really unique. These are three comedic voices that you are not going to ever see again because they are so unique. You know, Chevy Chase has his own weird brand of off-center comedy. These are all, you know, Chicago. I think they went to Second City, right? That's where they all met. You know, Rodney Dangerfield, for all his faults, was a very unique comedian. So you have a lot of unique things happening. And it does kind of fall off mid-film. I, I think this is such a cocaine-fueled movie. This is in the height of cocaine-fueled movies. Half of the movie is completely made up. They went so off script that they were so high that they were just doing things and making things up as they went. So if you feel like the movie, and I'd love to hear both of your feedback, if you feel like the movie kind of goes off the rails halfway through, it does, because they kind of threw away the script. And there was only one person on set who wasn't cocaine fueled. That was Ted Knight. And, you know, he was a very old school actor who didn't really want to partake in the games of the young guys coming in from SNL and these comedians. And there's, there was a clash on set between old and new. So it does feel like it kind of goes off the rails, but it is, I think it's a classic because it really exemplifies the time that it was made in. It was a new kind of comedy. Ramus has established himself, God, God rest his soul, rest in peace, as a really unique comedic mind. Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, you mentioned Animal House. These were all innovations in the, in the era of comedy. So, you know, it's very unique in that way. I think your, your rating of three to 3.2 is accurate. I don't actually think it's a great, well-made film. I think it goes off the rails too much, but I do think it acts as the voice of an era. And I think it, that focus, that comedic focus on classism gives it a really interesting place in, in comedy film history. Yeah, it is very SNL. It's very ad-libbed, and I think it definitely speaks of a, a certain era when you think of comedy, when you look at that cast. And I think, you know, I spoke about it, but it's probably just a generation before me um, when I started to kind of fall in love with SNL and kind of the beginning of certain comedic actors. I was kind of more of the Adam Sandler uh, era I would say, than I was the the era before where we saw a lot of these guys um, earn their claim to fame. So I enjoyed the film. I think my dad probably enjoyed it much more than I did to say that. And like I said in the episode as well, the bonus episode is that I think I enjoyed it more from just being a golfer myself and, and, and being able to connect with a lot of the different personalities to be able to recognize some of the people that I'd seen out on the course. There's certain things in it that are funny to me that if you don't play golf, you might not think it's funny. So there's a testament to Harold Ramis, too. Maybe he was a golfer. I don't know. But just little tiny things like I mentioned in the bonus episode when Smales kicks the ball out and, you know, Danny says, how about a little bit further, sir? And he says, oh, yes, winter rules. That made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's the middle of summer, but I know people like that. They, they look for any reason to kind of give themselves an advantage. I love that you can relate to it as a golfer. Kyle, I, I want to say that you brought up the, the fact that, you know, this and other movies were kind of like cocaine fueled. I had not even thought about that. But now thinking about the movie after I've seen it, you know, twice now, it definitely falls off. And you can definitely tell where, you know, the actors are kind of doing some crazy things. And uh, it definitely seems unplanned and unorganized as you go. I remember seeing the extra special, the, the 19th hole, where they talked about halfway through the film, they realized they didn't have you know a scene with their two biggest stars together, so they had to kind of hurry up and, and make one, and that's you know the one with uh, Bill Murray and, and Chevy Chase. So definitely a, a crazy assortment of uh, people that were in charge of it, and I'm sure the amount of snow beers they went through was insane. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. The best way I've heard it described is with the '80s and cocaine on set. Like it was rampant, right? Drug use on set was like was rampant during the '70s. We uncovered this during our coverage of Apocalypse Now. But cocaine was very specific to the '80s, right? It's a it's an '80s specific drug. That's where it came into prominence in the world, and especially in Florida and the United States. And the bell curve of filmmaking in the '80s actually represents the high of cocaine. Early on, it was you know we're we're so brilliant, we're wired, we're brilliant, we're making great ideas, we're making good films, we're just we're doing it. Mid '80s films really start to crash, and by the end of the '80s, it's like all right, we need a reset on creativity in the film industry. That makes so much sense. Well, we are going to be recasting eight roles for this film and let's start with carl spackler he's about 455 yards away he's gonna hit about a two iron i think well you got all of that the crowd is standing on its feet here at augusta the normally reserved augusta crowd going wild who was played by bill murray Bill Murray was 30 years old when he did this role. He obviously was in Saturday Night Live. He had done Meatballs with Ivan Reitman. He did the Buffalo Rome, which is he played Phil, um, uh, Hunter Thompson. I'm sorry, Hunter S. Thompson. And then, of course, like I said, a member of SNL. For me, this character was just kind of crazy and kooky. And I always try to encapsulate the character. And I thought, who could kind of play this role? And I went with Bill Hader, who is also from SNL. He's 43 years old. He's also done Trainwreck. It Chapter 2 is more of a serious thing. He's done Barry, which has a little bit of comedy and a little bit of seriousness. But I think that Bill Hader is incredibly versatile, and he can do completely off the rails like Bill Murray did, and he can do completely straight. But I think that Bill Hader would absolutely crush as Carl. Yeah, usually we start off with something a bit more boring with our uh, first picks here in the movie, but Wayne wanted to start off with a bang with Carl, and that's definitely what Carl does is bangs things. So uh, I went with uh, somebody uh, a little bit younger, somebody who, you know, we spoke a little bit about child actors, and I remember seeing, you know, my choice here on Disney as far back as even Stevens, and then he went off and uh, did uh, Holes. Um, and then uh, was able to trans, uh, transform himself into a bigger actor in Transformers. But uh, I went with Shia LaBeouf. I think between his uh, experience in Holes and then, you know, the explosives of Transformers, I'm providing somebody who can bring a little bit of craze, that slight PTSD that we saw from Carl. I think we can get that from Shia LaBeouf. So, you know, the craziness and, and digging holes, I dig my choice here. Who you got, Kyle? Yeah, that's awesome. And the fact that he's, I'm looking at the sheet now. I can't believe he's only 35, by the way. That kind of blew me away. I always joke on the podcast about being a failed comedian. You know, I'm still a comedian at heart. So I had to really filter these comedic actors through a certain lens because what's really interesting about Dangerfield, Murray, and Chase is they're all very unique. They're not your straight up stand up comedians. They're actually comedic actors, which to me is a different breed. I picked Bill Burr. Yes, he's he's older and you're going to see a lot of weird age gaps in my picks. But the thing is with Bill Burr, I was thinking it, if I was a casting director recasting this film today, it would be a huge mistake as a lover of comedy to pick people that are trying to mimic Bill Murray. Like, why would you want to hire someone to try to pretend to be Rodney Dangerfield? Because then it becomes a Rodney Dangerfield documentary, not Caddyshack. I picked Bill Burr because I want to see his voice. He's got, you know, his thing is the Massachusetts and Jesse, you're from Massachusetts. He's got that Boston anger. And I want to see that in this role. You're not going to mimic Murray here because what Murray did was very unique to his personality and to his acting style before he was a dramatic actor with Wes Anderson. But imagine Bill Burr kind of interpreting this role 
with his Boston anger, with his accent, I feel like it would be dynamite. It may not be exactly what Murray did, but my assumptions with these picks is we're not going to mimic them perfectly. So I went Bill Burr. All right. And I guess uh, kind of reviewing, going through the reviews of the picks here, I will say that the two criticisms I had. So I'm glad that you kind of talked about that with Bill Burr, because when I first saw the pick, I didn't really love it because like you said, comedic acting and being a stand-up comedian are two completely different things. And, And there's a lot of stand-up comedians who just can't act. And then there's a lot of comedic actors who just are incredible actors. I think of like Robin Williams is the classic example of a guy who was a stand-up comedian, a comedic actor, and he can do drama really well. With me, I guess I was trying to picture somebody who would be goofy, who would kind of play that Forrest Gump kind of end of the spectrum, so to say, in terms of intelligence and whatnot. And, I, and that's why I went with my pick. And I think Bill Bird didn't hit that for me because I think of Bill Burr is very being very intelligent like he's an old school comedian like a carlin or you know somebody who really makes you think with their comedy and so it didn't translate to me the the kind of the stupidity but i like what you're saying that okay but he's not going to be stupid like he's not going to play it like bill murray he's that he can be intelligent but it's his rage it's him getting angry at this gopher and swearing at him and trying to catch him and and that made me actually kind of say all right i've done a 180 on that and i actually do like the bill burr pick first you my friend now you turn it 360 on me. God, 180, you stupid spaghetti slurping cretin. 180. If I did a 360, I'd go completely around and end up back where I started. For Jesse, I want to say that I don't understand the Shia LaBeouf pick only because again, I don't see the the comedy background, I guess. I know, and I like Shia LaBeouf a lot. I actually, the greatest game ever played, I think is fantastic. But I just, I don't know. I, I couldn't picture him in that kind of goofy clown role. I mean, he was definitely the clown in even Stevens is that little brother role. And he's always had a little bit of comedy in his roles. Even in Transformers, he had some quippy lines. But I, I just think I, I saw such a parallel of someone digging holes and then, you know, with explosions. Maybe I'm just making it too simple, but I, I also see him as such a crazy guy. You know, he's known for that little sound bite of the just do it, do it online. And if you search his name, you're going to get that sound bite. So I just feel like he definitely fit that physical comedy that I was looking for in a new edition of this film. And I thought that all three of us did really well in getting guys that were kind of, you know, they're all a little bit all over the place in age, but they're not too far apart. And I think they all provide some good physical comedy. So I didn't hate any of these picks to start off. Hater kind of blew me away. We both picked Hater, but for different roles, and we'll get to my Hater pick later, but he's underrated as an actor. When I watched Barry, I actually didn't watch Barry for a long time because I, I never really loved him comedically because I thought he has the quip of being part of SNL during the, the disintegration period where I think SNL has lost its core, right? But when I watched Barry, I was blown away by this guy. One of the most versatile actors out there, Wayne. And, and I had a hard time. I actually shifted him around kind of like a slot wide receiver. I kind of shifted him around a little bit in the different positions. And I, I really was I was stoked that he at least made it into your lineup because he was in mine, too, just in a different place. All right. Well, our next uh, pick is going to be Maggie O'Hooligan. Daddy, Daddy, stop it. The judge will see you. You going out with me tonight, Maggie? Yeah, to my room. I gotta work in the dining room tonight. Come work with me. You can bust tables. I've never done that. It's easy. You fill the water glass. You replace the butter. If they drop a fork, you give them another one. Who was played by Sarah Holcomb? She was 22 years old, and she had previously been in Animal House and Walk Proud. And 
again, to me, this is almost like a throwaway role because she's only in a handful of scenes. And I understand that she's there to be whatever Danny's love interest before, you know, Lacey comes along. And I just went with Millie Bobby Brown here. She's in Stranger Things. She plays 11. She's 18 years old. Uh, she was also in Godzilla. Both of Godzilla versus Kong as well. I just wanted somebody that was going to be like a teenage girl. I mean, these caddies are all about 18 years old after their senior year of high school. And the girls are going to be chasing are going to be about the same age. So I wanted to get somebody in that 18 to 20 range. And, you know, I feel like she's a, a good enough star that this could be a, a nice little jumping off role for her. Yeah, I think with the role of Maggie, we touched on it in our little bonus for your episode, but she was both confusing and kind of out of place between the accent and her relationship where it didn't really seem like she had a relationship because Danny was all over the place too. But, you know, I don't think she was anybody's favorite character, so I think we're all going to do our best to really spice it up a bit, um, whether it be with someone with that has a bit more star power or someone that's going to bring a bit more um, appeal physically to the role. And so for me... I brought Caitlin Dever. I know her most from the Hulu show that Wayne and I have both talked about and watched, and that's Dope Sick. Also has Michael Keaton. She's been in Dear Evan Hansen and, and Booksmart, but I see her as that right age. She's got the dark hair, so it made me think of her. But I see her as a more refined actor and also a more attractive actor than what we were originally presented. Yeah, this was this was tough. And, and it's funny when you put 37 years old in the – I mean, do you guys really think – just, just scrap your research apart, Wayne. I, I was shocked when I saw that Gina Rodriguez was 37 because when I picked her, it was this was not as an in-depth pick as Bill Burr for me. It was I visualized her when I was watching this with the recasted 2.0 eyes on. I was thinking, oh wow, I would like to see Gina Rodriguez in that role. I wasn't thinking that maybe she's 37 because I was thinking she was in her mid 20s. No, yeah, and I'd say that that was. Probably the, the criticism that uh, I had, I guess, when I saw it, I was like, wow, 37. And, and I'll be honest, I haven't really seen her in a whole lot. I know that some of the shows that I put on here were Jane the Virgin, Awake, Miss Abala. I haven't seen any of that stuff. And so for me, looking at pictures of her, I understand what you're saying. Like she does kind of look a little bit like she's in her 20s. But to me, even that was kind of like, well, but she's supposed to be 18. So you kind of want somebody in their 20s that looks like a teenager. And so that was my only criticism was that was the age of the character again. But it's it's a throwaway role. You can kind of do a lot with it. Jesse, I will say with your pick, I had no criticism. I actually really loved your pick of Caitlin Dever. Uh, I do think that she plays the right. And I think she's actually absolutely gorgeous. It, it, much prettier than Maggie was the original Maggie. Yeah. And as far as your pick, Kyle, I mean, she's spicy. Uh, I mean, she's definitely going to make Danny a, a little bit more concerned about, you know, having googly eyes for lazy. So I, I can see where, you know, that's, you know, a good inspiration for that. But I, I'm, I'm usually a bit more of a stickler on age than Wayne is. And so once once I saw, you know, who you, who you sent over and I immediately kind of checked into who she was because I myself wasn't as familiar with her filmography. I was like, ooh, she, she's she's bringing a little bit, little bit of age to the party. Um, but again, she, she, she's a bit of a smoke. Yeah, you, you're going to be able to to ding me on age the whole time because this is where you guys are professionals and I'm an amateur in this in this area. <laughs> so you're going to be able to ding me on age all night long. Then we have Tony Denunzio. I can see that he's out, numb nuts. Give me a Coke. One Coke. Hey, wait a minute. That's only fifty cents. Yeah, Lou raised the price of Coke. He's been losing it to track. <laughs> well, I ain't paying no 50 cents for no Coke. 
He was played by Scott Columby, who was 28 when he played the role. He'd done a lot of TV as like a teenager and like a child actor before this. And basically, he just kind of plays almost like a foil to Danny, but not really. He's just a kind of a tough guy. He seems like he's cool, right? He smokes cigarettes, which in 1980 made you cool. And so I just wanted to try to find somebody that could fit that. And again, I'm kind of going with that teenager, you know, role. So I'm looking for who's going to be a teenage bully. And I went with Karan Brar. He's 23 years old. You would have seen him in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He's Sharad Gupta. He was in Jesse on Disney. He was in Pacific Rim. He's not four foot one anymore. He's actually taller and, you know, uh, a little bit better looking. But I think that he always kind of plays that annoyingness. And I felt like he would be a really good kind of bad guy role. If, if I mean, if Tony's really a bad guy, I don't think he is, but that kind of role. Yeah, I definitely touched on it when we did our review that I thought that when, you know, this movie was starting to get going before we saw kind of where the big rivalries were going to be, that I thought this was going to be really kind of centered on Tony versus Danny. We were going to see a bigger role from, from Tony. And so I saw him kind of be introduced as this bully as this guy who was pushing his weight around and who was athletic and, you know, pretty good looking, but he was definitely the bully of the scene. And so for that reason, I went with somebody who is very much so the same on Euphoria, which is a hugely popular show right now on HBO. And I went with Jacob Elordi. He is 24 years old. So right around that ballpark of somebody who is between his senior year and having to really decide what he wants to do before he has to be an adult. And, you know, he's also from the kissing booth. But I think that, you know, he's most known for, you know, euphoria right now. And he's a guy that, who's going to do some really awful things, some really dirty things. And that's what I see from Tony is, is just the real foil to Danny. Wow. A couple of fantastic picks. My pick was a little out of left field. And you're going to laugh, guys, because this was a timing thing. I wouldn't watch Batman the day before I watched Caddyshack for, you know, with the purpose of for this recasting. And Austin Butler was cast as Elvis, you know, and he's playing Elvis in the, uh, you know, from teen to, you know, to the end of his life. And I, the movie isn't out yet, so none of us know, but I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer, but slick, energetic, and he made this huge jump. I first found Austin Butler in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is my favorite Tarantino movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. He plays Tex, which, if you read the historical context of the Charles Manson family, was a very intricate member. He did a great job, and it was a limited role, but I, I was always really impressed by him. And for some reason, I kind of visualized his face, and then I saw the Elvis preview, and I saw how just magnetic he was in that role. I was like, this dude could be a slick back smoking. Because think about it. This is a throwaway character in the 80s, the smoking, cool, sex-crazed, teen guy that is a throwaway character, and, and I think Austin Butler, after I saw just the trailer for Elvis, I was like, that's the guy that could be the slick, smoke-back, 80s, throwaway, sex-crazed team. Yeah, and I didn't hate either pick. Didn't love either pick. Didn't hate either pick. I just thought they were both decent. Like you said, it's a little bit of a throwaway role. Not as much as Maggie, but uh, a little bit there, and you just need somebody to kind of be the bad guy, whatever, tough guy, however you want to look at it. My one note is I did have for Jesse on Jacob Elordi. This is the second movie in a row you've picked somebody from the kissing booth. So is this like your favorite movie? Hey, man, I think you should watch it and maybe you'll cast somebody from it because it's, <laughs> it's a pretty awesome series. There's three of them on Netflix for a reason, bro. I'm so lucky that you two have this bond and I don't have to be in the crossfire. I, I, I feel lucky <laughs> as a guest today. 
Oh, it's fun. Just wait till we get to his six cast people from The Walking Dead. <laughs> but no, uh, I mean, honestly, I was pretty unfamiliar with yours, Wayne. And uh, I mean, uh, after looking into him a bit more, I could see how it could be a good fit. So I, I don't love it, nor do I hate it. Um, gotta say for you, Kyle, I love yours. I can't believe this kid is 30. He's, he looks very young. And not only did I see the trailer for Elvis, but I was actually looking at him for my role here as Tony. And it was like, oh, man, I, I think maybe he's he's a little too big because of the, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and then Elvis. I was like, man, maybe this guy's a little too big. But I uh, really loved it. I think he's a good-looking, suave-looking kid. And I think he'll crush the Elvis role. But, uh, yeah, as far as those, um, thought yours was good. Wayne just thought that, you know, Kyle's here was, was better. Boom. Lacey Underhall is next. Oh. <laughs> Nixon plays golf. I bet you got a lot of interesting stories about your ball landing in the room. So what do you do? I enjoy skinny skiing, going to bullfights on acid. I bet you got a lot of nice ties. Yeah, the niece of Judge Smale. She was played by Cindy Morgan, who was 26 at the time. Prior, she had done Up Yours in 1979. Later, she did Tron 1982. Those were her two big roles. And yeah, I give her a shout out because Cindy Morgan, we tagged her in a post about how we had mentioned her in the bonus episode and she liked and retweeted our post. So thank you, Cindy. And she still looks good. I was uh, looking at her as just she oozed sexuality, right? I mean, even I mentioned in our bonus episode that even at the swimming pool, she wears a one piece and you still can't take your eyes off of her. There's something not just good looking about her, but like sexual about her that it's like a magnet. And you see all the guys kind of go at her. So for me, I went with Sophie Turner. She's 26 as well. She was in Game of Thrones. She played Sansa Stark. She's in X-Men. She plays Jean Grey slash Dark Phoenix. And I think that she has that same kind of just uh, like a sexual vibe about her. So that's why I went with the role. Yeah, definitely a smoke as far as the original actress. I can't believe that I got that excited over an actress from the 80s, but uh, I definitely did. She was a sight to see. You know, for her, I just I had to pick somebody who was different because she was very different to the, the whole vibe there. You know, she was gone to see to stay with her uncle and uh, she seemed to be very wild. She was taking every opportunity to kind of do the wild and crazy thing, whether it be smoke up or sleep with everybody that could walk. But, you know, she was wild, crazy, a little sleazy and she was different. For that reason, I went with somebody who's very popular. I went with Julia Garner, most known as Ruth Langmore on Ozark. And on there, I get the same different wild vibe. I am oddly attracted to Ruth. I want her to swear at me. And then Inventing Anna, which is a new product of hers. It's actually a true story about a woman that pretty much fakes an entire profile and personality and is able to uh, kind of con a, a lot of people. And she portrays that role. And I think she's a wonderful actress. And I think that she could crush it here again. Julia Garner, who you all know as, you know, Ruth from Ozark. Man, that's a heater of a pick, and we'll talk about that at the end. But, you know, again, here's me showing my amateur nature in this game, picking someone a little older. But, you know, I, I, I got to say, you know, this role, Lacey Underhall, is a another, even though she's more prominent in the film, kind of another 80s throwaway type of role and kind of an archetype. Here was my selection criteria. This girl has flexed between being elite, you know, coming from an elite family, but she 
hangs out with Caddy. She gets high with Caddy. She sleeps with whoever. You know, someone that really shifts between different types of emotions and different types of personas. Of course, the first person that came to my mind is the amazing Jennifer Lawrence, who I want to hone in specifically on Silver Linings and American Hustle, of course, both with the amazing Dave o. Russell, who's a top five Mount Rushmore director for me. This Jennifer Lawrence, yes, a little older in this role, you know, still stunning. And Jennifer Lawrence is someone that can pivot on a dime. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it feels like she can play the same character, but play them in different situations over and over again. She did that in Silver Lining. She did an American Hustle. She, I think she's an amazing actress. I would love to see her kind of add some power to this role. You know, I think if this role was modernized and today, I don't think we could have the same Lacey Underhill or Underhall. I think, unfortunately, just due to, you know, how things are today, I, I don't think we could have the same character. So I, I think Jennifer Lawrence would bring a little power to the role and would be able to switch between social classes on a dime, which is really what this movie is about. Well, I will say this. I actually really like the Jennifer Lawrence pick. I think it's a great pick. And, and the age doesn't concern me because she can play still that college age person. I think that's fine. I think she looks the part. I wouldn't want to see her try to be too feministic and and take some power because I think that Lacey's power was in her sexuality. It, it, there is a power to that. It, it's not a helplessness. She was not a damsel in distress. She was the one controlling her destiny and controlling the situation. So I would definitely want to see her use her sexuality as her power rather than kind of, you know, make it more of a feminist statement. But I do like the pick of Jennifer Lawrence. I do not get the pick of Julia Garner, uh, Jesse. I, I just she's like four foot ten. And I understand my wife's four eleven, so I'm not trying to knock women for their height. But she, <laughs> oh, Becky, make sure you listen to this episode, girl. <laughs> but you know, Lacey Underhall had legs for days. You know, what I mean she was the quintessential five foot eight like really good looking. I mean, you look at her next to Chevy Chase, who's six, four, and she was still like up to his chin. So you know, she just has that look about her. And Julia Garner doesn't ooze sexuality. Like she's cute. You know, she's got a little button nose, or whatever, but she's really like, she's like your sex symbol. I mean, I don't know. I, I just didn't get that bit. Well, I mean, I just want to say you're talking about her legs. I think we see Lacey laying down more than we see her standing up. You know, I just, I, I can't keep saying enough. I mean, I'm oddly attracted to, to Ruth and I want her to swear at me. So I think that I'm okay with it. I may just be uh, preying on her popularity and the fact that Ozark is super popular right now. But I also think that, you know, I, there is definitely some truthfulness to me being attracted to her, the actress herself. I think she's very well-rounded. And speaking of well-rounded actresses, I'll, I'll have to agree with you, Kyle. I think that J-Law is very well-rounded. I mean, speaking of Hunger Games and then X-Men to something now where she did do American Hustle and then she did do recently uh, Don't Look Up and even Don't Look Up, she was able to play a college-aged female pretty convincingly. So I think it's, it's a very good pick. I think she's a very good actress and I see no qualms with any of the picks there. I, I would like to see all of them perform this role and in the way that it was done in the 80s, Kyle, not this new age stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing that's interesting, and and I'd love to uh, after the episode to just hear your methodologies because you're not only casting a modern set of actors and actresses, but you're you're casting for a modern time. So that's got to be a challenge, right, for you guys to do week in and week out. You know, I don't know enough about Sophia Turner. I never got into to Game of Thrones as much. Jesse, that's interesting with Julia Garner. She's someone I actually think is is one of the up and coming actresses. I just finished season four of Ozark. I, it took me some time to get to it. I thought she's fantastic through that whole series. I'm from Arkansas. I don't know if you guys know that. I've said it on the podcast a little bit, but I am Southern. I may not sound like it, but I have a lot of Southern tendrils in me. And I relate 
to her in Ozark. Um, I think she's someone that she's not a Southern person by trade, but she took that role. She has a lot of acting chops. She's um, from New York City, I, actually. So to pull off that accent so well, I mean, yeah. I say it so well, but I mean, she she convinces me that she's from, you know, the Ozarks. Yeah, exactly. And the first time I saw her in Ozark, I was thinking, man, like she sounds like my cousins. She sounds like my aunts. Like she really resonated. I think she's a great performer. And and I like the pick. My question is, does she want to take this kind of role? Inventing Anna, I haven't finished it yet, but she's really showing a, um, a a different side. And you said she's from New York City. She's showing that side with that role, even though I think she's German, right, in the show. But she's really got a very big range as an actress. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, and I think she could pull this role off. I really do. And as far as Sophie Turner is concerned, definitely saw an X-Men as Jean Grey. But yeah, I, I don't have quips with either of those picks personally. Well, now we get to some of the more fun characters. We have Judge Smales. It's easy to grin when your ship comes in and you've got the stock market beat. But the man worthwhile is the man who can smile when his shorts are too tight in the seat. <laughs> okay, Pookie, do the honors. Who is played by Ted Knight. He was 56 years old in the role. He had been on the Mary Tyler Moore show. He had the Ted Knight show. He is a narrator for the Super Friends. And I thought he was absolutely great in this movie. He crushes it as Judge Smales. The the comedic timing and the, and the range and everything was just so great. It really had me thinking hard about this character because I said, I have to have somebody who can fly off the handle, but there's a a comedic nature to them. Like you can't just put like a, an angry person in there. You, you can't just put a dramatic actor and say, be angry. It has to be funny. There's so much humor with smales. And so I went with Richard Dreyfus, who is 75. Obviously we know him from jaws, close encounters of the third kind, Mr. Holland's opus, you know, uh, what about Bob and what about Bob's really the inspiration that I pulled here because he does have that comedy. He is funny, but he also can fly off the handle and you can picture him being judge smales. So Richard Dreyfus is my guy. I will absolutely agree, Wayne. I think the original actor was able to balance comedy and anger and really show that in a very nice way. And then I think our choices have to do that as well. They can't just be straight comedy and they can't just be guys who are angry all the time. They have to be able to balance those two. And so for my choice here, I chose James Woods. The main reason I chose him is what I've seen him in in, in Scary Movie as that priest. Dipping a little bit far back, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, but... I th- I found him to be hilarious, but also someone that, you know, you would listen to if he was screaming or yelling. And, and I think that now at this age, he's 75 now, so he's definitely a little bit older than Ted Knight originally portrayed it. But I think that James Woods would be a fun portrayal of, of the new Judge Smales, who, like I mentioned in the review, pretty dishonorable judge. When I was reading what you sent over to me, Wayne, this was like where I was like all three of us really knocked out of the park with these acts. And I'm, I'm not, not meaning to be arrogant. We all know about Brian Cranston and his range. I love it when he leans into his age a little bit. I read his autobiography. This is a guy who's thankful to be where he's at, you know, in, and I don't think people watched Malcolm in the Middle thinking this guy is going to be one of the most celebrated actors of all time with Breaking Bad in the future. I don't know if you guys ever watched Malcolm in the Middle, 
But when that was his main gig, no one was watching that thinking, wow, this could be one of the best actors of all time. But I love the idea of him kind of actually residing his acting chops, kind of backing off and just being a grumpy old guy on a golf course. I just think for Brian Cranston, who's a very elevated actor, who's, who's kind of method and has a lot of dimension to him, I'd love to see him just kind of strip the expertise acting and just be a grumpy old guy on a golf course who's a judge. I think that's a win. I And I honestly think Brian Cranston's a win in a lot, but like a lot of show actors from AMC specifically, when you think about Cranston, John Hamm, these are guys that still, even though they've demonstrated their range, don't get a ton of bids for leading roles in AAA films. And it's unfortunate because I think the John Hams and the Brian Cranstons are worthy of those. But when you think about Cranston in mainstream film, he's still not getting a lot of bids for leading roles as a male actor. And I think that's really interesting. I'd love to see him kind of get laid back, be a grumpy old, you know, grumpy old curmudgeon judge on the golf course. Yeah, I will say that this is my favorite pick of yours, Kyle. I, th- I thought I saw Brian Cranston and immediately loved it. And because, again, he's got the comedy from Malcolm in the Middle. I did watch Malcolm in the Middle as well. And I didn't when they cast him in Breaking Bad and somebody was telling me because I, I got to Breaking Bad, I think, by season four or five. So I wasn't with it from the start. And people were telling me, like, you know, oh, Brian Cranston, he's like a science teacher that makes meth. And I'm like, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle is like a serious guy. <laughs> when I finally watched it, yeah, he was incredible. And so just to have that range and, and again, the, the comedic chops, I, I think that for me watching Malcolm in the Middle, one of my favorite episodes starts off with the wife screaming. The father runs into the boy's bedroom and closes the door and he says, who wants to make 20 bucks? And one <laughs> of them raises his hand and he grabs him by the shirt. He goes, I got him, honey. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. And, and uh, as far as James Woods, I will say, this, uh, Jesse, I don't hate it, but it definitely makes me tilt my head because I don't see James Woods. I, I like James Woods. He's a great actor. I just I'm having a hard time picturing it as much as I like him. And you see there's a bunch of movies on this list that I put for him that I like him in. But I just I have a hard time picturing him as Smales. Well, I think you have a tough time because of the nine or so movies you listed of him. You didn't list the one that I did. And that's a scary movie. If you watch you know, him in any of those movies, you're going to see a lot of that comedy background that he leaned on there. And I just see him and Ted Knight as perfect parallels here for this Caddyshack remake. And that's why I thought it'd be great. I mean, I think you're seeing him more as drama heavy from Jigstown and, and Any Given Sunday um, where he was a lot more serious. I think from Scary Movie, he's definitely going to carry that comedy that we see Ted Knight do. And I thought he was a good fit. Uh, for yours, I, you know, you have casted, you know, Dreyfus before, but I think you casted him perfectly in Our Big Lebowski. And I think you're casting him perfectly again here as someone who is angry, short tempered, but also still has that comedy backbone that's going to be necessary. So I liked your choice here. And, and Kyle, again, love Brian Cranston one of the better actors out there. And I think you, you put him in, a, in a, the perfect role. So yeah, no qualms from, from myself here. Yeah. And I'm going to agree. Like I said, this was the power category. You know, my only question on Dreyfus is, would he do it? You know, but the thing with Dreyfus is, is, you know, he's, he's come to terms with the sins as an actor, you know, back in the day, he was known as a diva jaws and all the early films. He was really difficult to work with. I think he's reconciled with that. I think as a 75 year old actor, who's obviously a goat, actor, I think he would be open to this role. And I think he would take it and I think he would dominate it. James Woods, fantastic pick. And and I think all three of these are fantastic. I can't, I literally can't think of a thing wrong with, with either of these picks from you two gentlemen. Well, the next power category, I guess, would be Al Cervic. Yeah, I can't park my car, get my bags, and put on some weight, will you? 
Hey, Wang, what's with the pictures? It's a parking lot. Come on, will you? I think this place is restricted, Wang, so don't tell me you're Jewish. Okay, fine. Hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. Who was played by Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield was only 59 in this role. He had done a bunch of stand-up comedy, obviously. He did some television. And this is kind of like his film debut. I think there might have been one film where he had a small part. But this is like his film debut as like actually uh, a role where he actually, after this, he goes back to school, Ladybugs. He does a bunch of other leading stuff. And he was so funny to me. And he was the perfect, perfect opposite to Judge Smales. Just colorful, loud Everything that you would hate at a private course if you are like the quintessential private course person, which Smales was. So I went with Tom Arnold for this role. He's 63. We know him from True Lies, Nine Months, Big Bully, The Stupids, Mikhail's Navy. He always plays. He encapsulates the role so well because Tom Arnold is loud. He's obnoxious. He has a lot of energy. He's really hyper, just like Dangerfield. So I think that Tom Arnold would be the perfect kind of Al Cervic drive the whole course nuts. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield was definitely a character. I mean, he was doing a bit the entire movie. I can't think of Rodney Dangerfield without thinking of Sam Kennison. And, and both of those are very difficult to even watch a minute of, um, you know, between their screaming and their, their annoying traits. So it wasn't fun watching him, but in retrospect, I picked someone that is probably one of my favorite actors out right now. And who I chose to to represent the new Cervic, uh, Al Cervic, is Danny McBride, someone who is super comedic, but also is kind of getting his mind working with, with horror as well as some comedy uh, heads are doing. He was recently in charge of the Halloween trilogy that is, uh, I think, about to end or either just ended. Um, but that's Danny McBride. Danny McBride, big with Eastbound and Down. He's also huge from Pineapple Express. Now he's showing some of his age, um, which is what I would need him to do to, to represent this role in The Righteous Gemstones, starting to have more gray hair, and he's uh, looking a bit more um, kind of ragged. And uh, I think that he would be great here as, you know, that loud, comedic, over-the-top, constantly doing a bit character. Um, and uh, yeah, that's why I went with Danny McBride. A couple of fantastic picks. Again, I put my comedian hat on for this one with Louis C.K. Listen... The thing about Rodney Dangerfield, a couple of facts that, you know, for anyone listening, Rodney Dangerfield was kind of an inconvenience to making Caddyshack. The reason was is he really didn't understand the filmmaking process. He really and he really wasn't interested in learning. He was a very bohemian individual as a person, not as an actor, but just as an individual. The people didn't necessarily love having him on set for that reason. You're not going to mimic Rodney Dangerfield. He was the tail end of punchline humor. You know, when you look at cocktail bar humor and you if you watch um, the show, what is it? The Marvelous Miss Maisel, is that what it's called? That show, you know, and as someone that did stand up comedy and has studied the history of it, you know, that exemplifies an era. Rodney Dangerfield came at the tail end of that and really turned that on his head and almost made a caricature of that brand of humor. And who he was on screen in Caddyshack is who he is as a person. Loud, obnoxious, crazy, not caring, not necessarily easy to work with, not because he was Chevy Chase level of a jerk, but he just didn't really care about the filmmaking process. You're not going to mimic Rodney Dangerfield. You're not going to do it. And and I, I was thinking of someone who's a comedian, 
who is also a stand-up comedian who's translated to acting but has a unique brand. And and I thought of Louis C.K. here. Yes, he's not loud and obnoxious, but he's undertoned and has that a weird social cadence. This was my craziest kind of gamble pick because Louis C.K., I think his biggest acting recognition comes from Parks and Rec, where I think he did a great job as that police officer. I want to see him utilize that that strange cadence here. He's not going to be as loud as Dangerfield, but the thing is, in my opinion, no one's going to be that loud that's an actual stand-up. And I really, this is more of a selfish pick, but I want to see Louis C.K. try this role. So peek behind the curtain here, Kyle, but before you got on, Wayne and I were kind of talking a little bit about all of our picks and talking about how we were going to beat you down. And, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, Louis C.K. And I was like, actually, man, I, I like this pick. And I said, I've seen him act a little bit. One of my favorite shows is Parks and Rec. And he plays, a, you know, a weird officer on there. And that's kind of where I left it. And then you brought it right back up with his social cadence and, and how he speaks, just how he interacts. And you brought up the exact performance of him as a police officer on Parks and Rec. So uh, I know that I usually let Wayne kind of start off with the review, whether it be the good, the bad, or the ugly. But I just had to say the peek behind the curtain is the fact that we went over that exact scene or the exact character of him from Parks and Rec when we talked about your choice. Yeah, and and think about, you know, when I think about Rodney Dangerfield, again, I overanalyze, right? I love philosophy. That's what I do on Movie Wars. As much as Dangerfield is the comedic presence here, he really is the, I am of the wealth class, but I don't give a shit about the wealth class. That's what he represents to me. He doesn't have a care in the world. I see Louis C.K. as a guy that could exemplify that spirit. Yeah, he's not going to mimic that loud comedy, but he's going to definitely exemplify the spirit of being of the wealth representation within the Caddyshack cast and that those characters, but not caring and being himself. I will say that looking at the two picks, again, I, I agree with you that there is no rotting danger field. And I said that to Jesse when we first started recasting this before we even picked anybody. I said, you know, you can't find another Rodney Dangerfield. He's a singular talent. But what he does in this movie, you just have to find somebody who does what he does, which is, again, be that disruptive force on the golf course. And he has to have that energy that rivals Smales because Smales has that energy as well. And, 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 and they're perfect foils for each other. I do like Danny McBride. I think that he has that. I've watched East Bound Down, and I think he could be that guy who shows up on the golf course and just makes all kinds of ruckus and drives Smales crazy. I guess my issue with, and I love Louis C.K. Louis C.K. is one of my all-time favorite comedians. Uh, Shameless, I had me like holding my side. It hurt so bad laughing at the Louis C.K. stand-up specials. Shameless, and even his newest one, Sincerely, is absolute genius. It's it's so good. I love his stand-up comedy. However, like I said, he's so, like you said, undertoned. He's just very calm. And you and you casted Brian Cranston the Smales, who's incredibly strong. And I just feel like maybe he's going to overpower, you know, Louis C.K. rather than match his energy. You're spot on. You're, you're totally spot on. This was the toughest pick for me. I love both your picks better. My only thing with Tom Arnold is, is I can't remember the last thing I saw, man. <laughs> Does he still act? I agree. Yeah, that that's kind of my qualm too is I can't remember the last time I saw him. It was actually like I remembered a performance of his. I mean, seeing True Lies, I'm like, oh, yep, I, I, I got it. I remember him from there. But I couldn't like pull an exact like reference point or, or scene where I was kind of fitting him. So thankfully, we kind of get these lists early on and we can kind of do some research. So yeah, I, I, def- I like the Tom Arnold pick and I, I think, you know, it definitely fits. And for Louis C.K., I think, you know, while you're not getting the the loud and obnoxious, you are getting the same, and I'm going to use a different word here that I did get from Rodney Dangerfield while watching, 
I think you're going to get an uncomfortableness. I think whenever he's on the screen, if you're not uncomfortable, somebody else that's on there with him is uncomfortable. And I think, you know, you, you think about that scene while they're in the, the golf shop. If you're not uncomfortable watching him kind of just go, I want nine of these. Uh, 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 well, Judge Smales is certainly uncomfortable. He's, you know, being made fun of about, you know, you know, the hat there and he's flexing. So I think that Louis C.K. brings an, an uncomfortableness with his comedy as well as what you, you perfectly described as that cadence, that social cadence. And that I also think that verbal cadence that I, I actually I'm more bought on and bought in now than I was when this was originally sent to us when we you know when we had the name sent to us. So I really like the pick. So again, I, I hate to not be as com- competitive or combative, but I like both these picks from both you guys. And we are getting into one of our two leads, which is Danny Noonan. Can I ask you something? Sure thing. Shoot, Timmy. Danny. Danny. When you were my age, did you ever have trouble deciding what you wanted to do with your life? (laughs) No, I've never had that problem, really. Why? Forget it. I didn't think you'd understand. Played by Michael O'Keefe. He was 25 years old. He had done some television. He was in Grey Lady Down and The Great Santini. And for me, what he represented was, again, a kid who's just finished his senior year of high school. He's trying to get the scholarship. There's something innocent about him and naive, but also like a teenage boy. He's kind of rambunctious. It's a weird mixture of, of just being a small town teenage boy is what I got the impression. And maybe that comes from that giant family that he lives with. So I went with uh, Dylan Minette here. He's 25 years old in 13 reasons why he's Clay Jensen. Uh, he's in Scream five goosebumps. Don't breathe. So he's just a guy who to me exemplifies that kind of quiet nature. He could play that 18, 19 year old and he could play that kind of again, naive in the world kind of person. Yeah, Danny Noonan, you know, again, when we are originally introduced to him, we think he's one of like 15 siblings or family members here. But we see that, you know, he's definitely of the poor set and, you know, he's not super athletic. He is not the smartest out there. Um, What did they say? He's uh, most likely to fail. That's what he ended up scoring on that test. For me, I wanted somebody who, like Michael O'Keefe, was going to bring not not a great athletic body, uh, not a huge resume, but somebody that is going to bring considerations of a best supporting actor. And that's exactly what I did because Michael O'Keefe before doing Caddyshack had one best supporting actor. So coming into this, I'm picking Cody Smith McPhee, who, like I mentioned earlier, was in power of the dog. I recently watched that and he is in very high consideration to win the award for the best supporting actor along with Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he did an amazing job in this film. He is a, bit of a lanky kid, an awkward-looking kid, but I didn't want to grab anybody who's going to overshadow the rest of the heavy hitters in this film. And I think that, you know, he's young and on the rise, but he's not going to overpower anybody, and I think he's a good fit. So, again, I'm, I'm picking Cody Smith-McPhee. Um, you know, a lot of people know him from Power of the Dog recently, but he was also in Paranormal and Let Me In and Alpha. So, uh, he's a good young actor, and I think he'll do a lot of great things moving forward. I love that explanation. You know, again, I realize that I picked someone that's at 38 years of age here, but if you look at Jonah Hill's career, he had a comedic phase, and now he's in his dramatic phase. And as he's entered his dramatic phase and showing us that he's an actual dramatic actor and has chops, 
they did cast him in Moneyball as a younger guy who is, you know, only a few years removed from graduating from college. He's a guy that has always required some makeup and required some aesthetics to fit the roles he's in. And specifically to the Wolf on Wall Street, he did that. Here's the thing. I, I love, Jesse, that you named Michael O'Keefe's credentials. But to me, this is not a performance that is irreplaceable. You look at, you got Bill Murray. Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, three of the most unique voices in comedic acting history. This performance pales in comparison. So when I approached this role, I was thinking, how can we elevate? I instantly thought of Jonah Hill, someone that can play a youth, even though he's older, he can he can look through the form of makeup and through his acting chops that he's displayed to us through a few of his recent films. Jonah Hill is a guy that I think can really elevate this role and add more dimension to it. I want to see Jonah Hill in this role. I, I love your picks. Um, but yeah, I, I instantly thought of Jonah Hill in this. So me looking over both the picks, I, I'll be honest, I have my issues with both. And if I start with Jesse, my issue with Cody Smith McPhee is he looks like a crazy emo kid that's going to shoot up the school. And I, I mean, I'm not going to say who you have here as Ty, but I will say he's super preppy. So you've got a super preppy guy, emo dark kid, and they're going to have this bond or this connection. It just it doesn't mix to me. I mean, I understand he looks the right age, but I think that he looks the wrong personality type for Danny Noonan. And then Jonah Hill, let's just take age out of it and say it's Jonah Hill and super bad, right? So high school age Jonah Hill. I still think that I don't know if he's the right Danny Noonan because he brings such a, a weird energy to his, to his roles that, to, to, again, I don't know, to me, I just didn't love the Jonah Hill pick and it didn't really have anything to do with the age, although the age does play in. But I, I think that it's more just like his personality. It didn't seem like the right fit for Danny. Totally. And you're showing my age as a new addition to the recasted guest member slot here. No, totally get what you're saying with the 38 years, <laughs> Jonah Hill. You'll, you'll definitely be asked to come back, Kyle. No worries. You know, we need the occasional punching bag. Uh, but no, no, uh, it. <laughs> Uh, as much as I love Jonah Hill and I've casted him already in something, I love him as an actor. Uh, it's not the age for me. It's I think he pulls too much gravitas. I think he is the heaviest hitter that you provided. Um, no matter who you you show, I think your cast is going to not be as strong as Jonah Hill. I think that, of course, in Superbad and 22 Jump Street, he was able to play that that age range of that high school, college age kid. But now he's looking more like the Wolf of Wall Street and, and don't look up where he's, I think he's, he's graduated to like man Jonah Hill. So I just think he's too big. He would overpower the rest of this cast. And, and like I'd mentioned, the original Caddyshack, Danny Noonan is almost like a nobody. I mean, we get introduced to him and he's kind of gets strung along the film, but the, the movie's really carried by, you know, Bill, Chevy and, Roddy Dangerfield, uh, and even to uh, another extent, Judge Smale. So I think, you know, Danny's probably fifth, you know, if we think about it. And you just made him such a huge star that um, I, I know you're going to tell us who, you know, your, your Ty Webb is, but he's so big that that's, that's only my issue is, you know, he's so big um, as far as a name goes that I don't, he's, he's the big star of the movie now. You're totally right. You know, and, and as you were saying that, it just hit me. I, I'm, I think I'm grappling with Jonah Hill's arc as an actor. I don't think any of us were watching Superbad thinking this guy's going to be cast by Scorsese. <laughs> you know, what an incredible arc he's had. And, and it feels really, it's it, not so long ago we were looking at him as the Superbad kid, right? What a crazy arc in such a short amount of time. You're totally right. I, I totally agree that he has a, a heavy amount of gravitas. Yeah, I will say my 
experience with Jonah Hill is, is definitely I thought of him as a super bad guy. And then he did like knocked up. And I was like, again, same type of character. And then when I saw him in Moneyball, I said, holy cow, like he can act like the, the role that he put. And he wasn't the lead, but he just he blew me away to the point that when he did War Dogs, then that was a whole nother level. Like he took it three notches up with War Dogs. And I said, oh, my goodness, this guy can do absolutely anything. So good. And then we get to Ty Webb. What did you shoot today? Oh, I don't keep score, Judge. Oh, well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. You know, you should play with Dr. Beeper and myself. <laughs> I mean, he's been club champion for three years running, and I'm no slouch myself. <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. Who was originally played by Chevy Chase, who was 37 years old. He was the star of Saturday Night Live and The Weekend Update. He had done Foul Play and Oh Heavenly Dog, but this is really kind of what really jumpstarts his movie career. Uh, we talked about it earlier, doing Fletch, the vacation movies. So for me, and this is a sneak peek into my almost, is that when I saw him, I thought he's just very quippy and sarcastic. Like Everything he says is somewhat sarcastic. And my initial thought when I was looking at it was Ryan Reynolds. We talked about him earlier because of that sarcasm. But Ryan Reynolds is very cold. And there's something warm about Chevy Chase, which is why he's such a great Clark Griswold, because even though he's sarcastic, there's a warmth to his characters. So I said, damn, well, who's sarcastic, but also warm? Well, Paul Rudd, right? I mean, Sexiest Man Alive in 2021. Obviously, we know him as Ant-Man. He was in Friends, Clueless. This is 40. Listen, if you don't know who Paul Rudd is, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So I'm going to say uh, Paul Rudd is my Chevy Chase here. Yeah, I definitely described it, and I heard it being described as Chevy Chase's character as Ty Webb is like a a, a high, like a, under the influence, golf Yoda. You know, he's very chill vibes. He's like very zen. But yeah, he does have some funny, quippy lines in there. So uh, he was fun to recast. And for me, uh, I'll get right to it. I chose Justin Timberlake. I think he's got the affable, easy to talk to, uh, you know, easy to watch nature as well as you know, having a very strong comedic backbone. I think if you haven't seen the stuff that Justin Timberlake has done with Andy Samberg and The Lonely Island, I mean, he's got his dick in a box. I mean, that's that's one of the greatest things out there, and that's Justin Timberlake and Andy Samberg. They do a whole bit. So I think that he's got a very strong comedy background that he can pull from, and he's also building up his, his film resume. I mean, from way back in one of the first things I saw him in, I think it was called In Time, where they had like, their life expectancy was on their arm, and whenever they got paid, they got paid in time. So I thought he did very well in that, and that was an early one. So, I mean, even an animated role where he played Branch and Trolls, I think he's he could really hold his own uh, in the film. And uh, another reason why I picked Justin Timberlake is I did some research, and he's actually a very, very good golfer. I looked at different celebrity handicaps to get an idea as far as different athletes outside of golf and different actors and musicians and Justin Timberlake has one of the better handicaps that can be had right now. So because of how well he plays golf and how well I see him fitting it with the easy to talk to chill vibes and comedy that he could bring. I love the Justin Timberlake pick. And that is so Justin Timberlake to be really good at golf, <laughs> be good looking, incredible at music and good at golf. <laughs> That's a great pick. Listen, Bill Hader Wayne, you picked him earlier. I, it's funny that you and I were both thinking, and, and for me it was, I moved him around be, between a couple of different roles. You know, this was the hardest one for me, guys, and this is the one I feared the most coming into this podcast because 
as a comedian, Chevy Chase represents a a different breed of acting, comedic acting that can't be replicated. When you look at him at Christmas Vacation, Caddyshack, Fletch, he has a timing, and and it's it's maybe hard to understand as a non comedian, but as a comedian, I don't understand where his his impetus is as a comedian, his timing. The way he delivers lines, I don't know if you guys have seen Fletch, but just in, just insane. I, I don't understand where his how his brain works. So this was very difficult for me, but I put Bill Hader here because he's demonstrated that awkwardness, that range. I think what Chevy Chase does, it's all based on what I refer to as dissonance. One actor says one thing, and Chevy Chase kind of says another thing that's funny not really in line with what the script says, not really in line with what the, the theme of the scene is. And I thought Bill Hader is the one that's demonstrated this range. He first was a comedian, later demonstrated dramatic chops. I really thought he would do well here because he could handle that burden of being Chevy Chase, someone that who really can't be replicated. Even Rodney Dangerfield, I think, is more easy to imitate than Chevy Chase because I think his comedic intuition is so innate to who he is as a person. I thought Bill Hader here because honestly, he's the most talented. And and this was really tough for me because I Chevy Chase kind of is, as a comedian, he's kind of a role model, you know, kind of an idol. So this was really tough. I think Bill Hader is one of the most talented people out there. I think he's underrated. I'd love to see him kind of tossing these lines around that Chevy Chase has. So I went Bill Hader. And I liked the Bill Hader pick, actually. And I mentioned it to my wife, too. I said, how incredible is it that you can get two guys at such different ends of the spectrum as Carl and Ty. And yet this one actor can play both roles and would do well, I think, at both roles because he has that kind of range. I think that Bill Hader can play off his rock and he can also play very straight. And I think that he'd be a really good tie. I do like the pick there. The Justin Timberlake pick, I don't hate it. I actually, I like Justin Timberlake in a vacuum as Ty, I just, again, going back to Cody Smith fee, I don't like the pairing of him and Danny. I think it's the wrong tie for Danny or the wrong. Yeah. The wrong tie for Danny. And, but as an actor himself, I love Justin Timberlake runner, runner probably gets a bad rap with a Ben Affleck, but I really, really liked Justin Timberlake in that film. So I like him as an actor and I like him here as Ty. Again, I just have to go back to, you know, Danny and wish he'd pick somebody different there. Yeah, I mean, don't pigeonhole, you know, my guy Cody Smith McPhee is this Slytherin emo guy. I mean, he, he, he may like my chemical romance, but you know, he's he's not gonna dress like that all the time. He's he's a very <laughs> good actor and I and I do think that he could he could play that right lanky college bound kid. But yeah, as far as our Thai web picks, I, I really like both of your picks a lot. I think Paul Rudd is, is that timeless guy that he could get out there and still look like he's mid to late thirties or you know, early 40s, someone who's gained the wealth that Ty Webb had. And I think that he could certainly bring the comedy that's necessary. We've seen him, you know, have such a great career off looking like he has the fountain of youth in his house, as well as having just a great comedy in his blood. So I think Paul Rudd is a great pick. And I also think that Bill Hader, I haven't seen Barry, but I've heard so, so many good things that I have to, I have to find a way to watch it. Because I think that it would open my eyes up to Bill Hader a bit more. But I do know that from what I've seen on SNL and from Trainwreck, that the guy's very talented. And so I think that he brings the same type of vibes that I would like to see from Ty Webb. So I really like both your picks here. I think that, you know, you, you did a great job of fitting him in with who your Danny is and with the whole vibe of the movie. So love what you both did. Yeah. And the Paul Rudd one kind of blew my mind. Listen, like when you picked him, 
to me, Chevy Chase is like the ultimate. So replacing him was very difficult for me just at a personal level. Just think about Paul Rudd's career. For a long time, I thought of him as the guy that played opposite, you know, Silverstone and Clueless. That was kind of the guy. He has built one heck of a career for himself. Dramatic comedy. He plays it all. I, I really do think I'm looking at all three of these picks. They're all three fantastic. I do think Paul Rudd is is the guy. I think there's no one more qualified. Um, I do think Chevy Chase is a once in a generation talent, and it comes with a lot of heartache. No one wants to work with him. He he hates everybody he works with. He has a lot of bad cred as an actor. Paul Rudd does not have that, so it almost makes him the the best pick. And I also think credit to you, Wayne, because this was the toughest recasting in my opinion. And I think Timberlake talking to Jesse's pick. Timberlake is funny because I saw him in Social Network. I I was really actually kind of blown away by his performance in that. I do think he has range. I honestly think this was a tough category with Chevy Chase and Paul and Justin are both great picks. Not to be too over-congratulatory on these, but Jesse and Wayne, both really great picks. Uh, I don't know if Wayne planned on asking, but uh, do you have any almost for any cast members? You know, I do, and not for any specific role. I kept thinking Chris Rock. You know, and I, I don't know where he fits here, but Chris Rock is one of those guys that he has that kind of exacerbated comedic presence on stage and he's demonstrated that he has chops as an actor. I wanted to get Chris Rock on here somewhere. I kept thinking about him in various roles. For for me, I had two people. They're kind of along that same line and same family. The only two people I thought of were for Cervic and for uh, Judge Smales, you know, the two people who are going to be opposing each other the whole film, just kind of poking each other. And I thought for Smales, I think I could pick a very older looking Jim Carrey. I think he's he's done that enough where he's done it with, with makeup and all that, where he could look old and, and angry as well as comedic. And then somebody who from that same generation and a hometown hero in, in New England, Adam Sandler, I think he could play a, a Al Cervic, someone who's over the top, you know, flexing his wealth. And I think they could rib each other the entire time. And uh, just someone from the 90s who's grown up now, I don't think I've seen two of my favorite guys in the comedy realm share the screen. I thought it would have been nice in an almost scenario to put those two against each other. I love those picks. Yeah, for me, again, like I said, I had Ryan Reynolds initially as Ty. My other two were Carl. I originally had Zach Galifianakis as Carl. I think that would be kind of funny, but I thought Bill Hader would be a little bit more versatile in the role. And then my Smales was originally John Lovitz. I don't think Lovitz could pull off the angry. Like He just seemed too comedic being angry. He has to come across as actually angry. And I'm a big Lovitz fan, but I don't, I don't think he could pull it off. So I ended up uh, switching that out as well. As a comedian, I just want to say thank you because John Lovitz is fantastic. He was in. He comes to Nashville regularly, actually, as a, doing a stand-up bit. He's fantastic. I love that you called that out <laughs> just as a fan. Going to a comedy show in a few weeks uh, up here in New England. Uh, going to see uh, one of my absolute favorites. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that you were a uh, stand-up comic, Kyle, so I'm a little nervous to announce who it is because it, it may come with some backlash. But uh, my my top comic um, is Dane Cook, and I'm excited to see him in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I remember you commenting. We had an episode where we talked about Dane Cook, and I remember you sending me a message about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there was some slander, yeah. Well, Dan Cook, though, he, he kind of is responsible for the advent of the arena comic, you know, and all of a sudden it was like, we want comedians to play arenas again, and Dan Cook was the one that led that charge. The Joel Olstein of comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I think you should do stand-up comedy, my friend. That was that got me. Oh, people have told me that between the voice and the comedy, but I, I don't have enough trust in myself. But I definitely appreciate that, and uh, do it. I'm just glad. I'm just glad that Wayne has provided you know so much. You know, between finances and time and effort, he's provided me an outlet to to be part of this on you know an every so often basis with Recasted, and you know I'm just so glad that it's grown to be such a powerful and fun project, and you know that we had the opportunity to bring you know Steve on last time and you on this time. I hope that. We continue to grow and have fun. So thanks again. 100%. Yeah, I feel like with comedy and talking with Jesse about comedy, it's kind of like talking to a young kid about rap, you know, and they think that Lil Wayne's like the greatest rapper of all time, but they don't know who Tupac is or, you know, Biggie. And so with now, me, I, I, know, I, know, I know who George Carlin is. I just feel like, you know, you didn't need to smoke 10 packs a day and you don't need to swear every other I'm word. I'm telling That's, you, the guy, I, I, he's I'm the greatest a, of all time. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I know Carlin is, he's, he's very on the nose when it came to like uncomfortable topics. But, you know, Carlin's not my guy. That's my parents' guy. Give me Dave Chappelle or Dan Cook. Any <laughs> You're going to laugh. Day. Carlin's my guy. So <laughs> it makes oh, me man. laugh. Oh, Drew, Phil, and I were driving back. We 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 celebrated Drew's birthday, and we listened to. I made them listen to Carlin on the way home, almost like an indoctrination type of uh, thing. So, but uh, no, I get what you're saying. But no, Carlin was my first comedic inspiration. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, obviously, Jesse, it was a great time. Guys, check out Movie Wars. It's mine and Jesse's one of our favorite podcasts, and we really enjoyed having Kyle on the show and. And hopefully we weren't too harsh. I know I tend to be the more harsh of the two of us when it comes to you know judging people's picks. Well, I'm in your territory. This is your game. I, I expected to have my my tushy beat in, so I I my uh, <laughs> I fully expected that. We'll let the listeners and followers kind of have their say once they listen to the episode <laughs> and once that once they see the picks here. But you know, Wayne's thought that you know a certain way uh, at one point, and then once the votes come in, he's like, oh oh, they're they're not thinking like me. So, you know, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, if I finish third again, we're not having any more guests on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're fine here, buddy. I do think you're fine. My age gaps are, are pretty prevalent, so. All right. Well, again, thanks for having us. And uh, everybody, that's all, folks. That's all, folks.